There are interesting people in disc golf, and there are boring people in disc golf. Here's one of each on the Fish Golf Broadcast. On this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast, I sat down with Matt Hammerston. Hammer, what you thinking about? How amazing this Southern Peach Lemonade tastes. And you are not sponsored by that company. I'm not sponsored by that company. Uh, I didn't say the company, though. That's true. This is your how many drink of the day? Different variety or just drink in in general? Let's say different variety of drinks. You've had had that. All right. So so nine o'clock before the flight started with a Guinness. So we can start right there. All right. Um, So this is a role model for today's youth. (laughs) Um, you got the, the lemonade, you got the Starbucks drink, uh-huh. the basic, uh, the basic drink. Um, you can say the word on you this get, podcast. Okay. The basic bitch drink. Uh-huh. And um, not you got ju- water. Not just that. He, he went up to the, the person at the counter and said, I want something cold brew. I want something what- cold brew or a Frappuccino. And I want the thing that you would consider the most basic bitch of of these drinks. That's literally what do you recommend. He, he <laughs> and she nailed it. She did. And a she great nailed job. it. She did a wonderful job. It was it was phenomenal. <laughs> uh, so so lots lots of different drinks today. And uh, then you had a couple beers with dinner. And when at I least, said at least seven different drinks. Okay. And when I asked if you wanted to do a podcast, you jumped up and took a cold shower to sober up. No, I took a hot shower. To sober up? Sure. Not really. It was only two beers. I, I don't need to sober up from two beers. And once again, a role model for today's youth, Matt Hammerston. Yeah, there you go. So, Hammer, you've been teaching lessons for a couple years, uh, not just as a public school teacher, as a role model for today's youth, but disc golf lessons as well. And yeah, we're going to bypass that whole school teacher thing for a second. This is Matt Hammerston. Yep. Uh, just in case any principals are listening. Uh-huh. He With is the a- yellow jackets. Yep. That uh, actually looks like a little buzz symbol, by the way. Oh, so I can't use any of my school's mascot apparel things because I'm uh, sponsored by Prodigy. Mm-hmm. So I can't have that buzz logo which is the same logo as the school. I can't have that. I, that's something I like doing. I like having the uh, school apparel when I go out to events and stuff. So that your I can't real that sponsor now. is represented? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't do that now, though. Bummer. Uh, so you, you've taught... I just... Go back to what a horrible adult you are. Well, all those kids. It, it, is, is it really me that's the horrible adult, or is it the school that hired me? I'm interested in your perspective on what constitutes a good student. Like, how do they approach you? What have they thought about before their lesson? What are they doing during and after in order to, like, make the thing, make the knowledge that you're trying to impart stick? I think the best types of students that come to me are are just very coachable so what what does that mean like that's yeah a, so that's I'll, a sports I'll, cliche what does it right mean? but so 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 when anybody says you're very coachable it means that you know when the person that you 
went to to seek help and advice from gives you advice or tries to work on you know whatever it is we're working on you don't respond back with yes but i think it's it's like look you came to me i'm the <laughs> one helping i'm the one trying to help you it the, the second th- uh somebody has that type of attitude i start to clock out a little because it's like anything i do is just going to go in one ear out the other and you know this usually i can i can figure out if if that's the type of person that that they are within the first five ten minutes it's actually very quick to tell if you're coachable (laughs) or not okay so can can you give me an example of someone who was coachable what kind of results you were able to get out of a lesson it's the attitude and the demeanor of of coming into the coming into these lessons with the understanding that you know we're not going to fix everything within you know the hour hour and a half that we have right it's uh it's taking what we what we worked on taking what we've done having a growth mindset understanding that it's uh that you know this isn't a a one size fits all kind of program it's it's you know, you're going to have to put in some work, you're going to have to put in some time, and you're going to have to trust the the process that uh, you came to me to to rebuild your, uh, your form or your footwork or your um, approach to the game. I think I got a couple people indirect lessons. I've gotten some people to 980 that started out in the low 900 range. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that you could get anybody to 980, but that you could see right, meaningful improvement right. from the 600s to um, the 700s or something. I'll just put it in terms of, of the throwing ability of the uh, and, and the, the tools that the person has now in their bag. Um, it was a very limited backhand, wasn't much of a, a great run-up. Um, now, I th- and, and probably in the, the low 800 range, he took a couple lessons with me. It wasn't just one. It was it was two or three, maybe four. And the the throw itself, the mechanics of it all, I think he should be a 930, 940 player. Wow. Okay. So that that that's a very marketable, very substantial change. Yeah, for sure. And and you say that's over the course of several lessons. Do you think that player was working outside? Oh, absolutely. And you can you can tell because <laughs> um you know, I've had a, a handful of people that, that have taken multiple lessons from me, and, you know, the next time I see you, I'm going to notice, did you do the things that I told you to do? Mm-hmm. Because we're either going to be working on those same things, or we can w- work on something something else, because you've done these fundamentals well, now we can focus on a next another set of fundamentals, or advance those fundamentals. Right. I think the those players need to understand that you can't bullshit a high school teacher into thinking you've done the reading when you haven't. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've seen my fair share of bullshit from, uh, from everybody at this point. (laughs) So when I have taught lessons, something I try to impart very early on is I can't fix you. Like if I could fix you, I would have already fixed myself for you know perfect mechanics or optimal gameplay or something but i'm going to try to leave you with a couple things that you can apply and they might stick right now or it might take you a little while for this to stick what 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 are some things that you say early in the coaching process to uh to your players 
to try to try to make them understand that this is a process. Not in the exact words that you use, but I kind of have the same uh, the same message of you know this is going to take some time. You very well may get worse in the short term. Um, Why? Your your mechanics are completely off. You know it depends on a let let's assume most of the people that I've that I've taught have been in this covid bubble Mm -hmm. and so i've i've been able to break some habits relatively quickly but let's let's assume you've been playing for five six years right um you have five or six years of repetitive motion in your mechanics that need to ruthlessly be beat out of you (laughs) and so it's very difficult with let's just say four lessons let's take the example i used earlier let's say four lessons because this was a guy that that was a covid uh bubble um, four lessons is not going to undo years worth of muscle memory. Sure. And you know, th- this, these are things that I've told people in my forum, um, that I've been working on as well is that, you know, it's taken me a long time to tuck that, uh, tuck that foot facing the correct direction. I, I would always open my foot up. It would always kill a bunch of distance because your hips are now open, mm-hmm. and so you're not engaging any of that. Uh, but yeah, if you're if you're uh, if you're coming in and you're not doing all that all that work afterwards, it's like, what do you want from me? <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I think I tell people, uh, you know, this is a process. You have to understand that. You know, it's not going to work immediately, but over time, continue what we're doing, trust in what we're doing, and you will start to see growth once you you know really commit to doing all these things for sure so sometimes that first lesson isn't about improvement at all it's about developing awareness of kind of where the the misses are in your game absolutely like for example you're talking about the placement of your plant foot on a backhand yep for a long time i bet that was just normal to you and then at some point it occurred to you wait a minute like i'm not loading that properly yeah no it was film it was film, and so that's what one of the things that I do early on as well. Um, and I think it, it it helps visually for people that are taking lessons to see, hey, look, this is what your form looks like right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, because it's very difficult to to tell somebody you're doing this wrong, sure, when they can't physically see it, and then they do it again, and it's like, oh, I did it perfect. It's like, well, no, you didn't. It's all it's all just happening so fast that your subconscious thinks right. You solved it. Um, so I love videoing people just so I can say, hey, this is what we're doing right now. I would like it to be here. And, and you know, hyper focus, um, hyper focus on, on a few fundamental things that, that, that I think we can have some type of difference within, uh, within an hour-ish. Sure. And then when, the, when that player goes away, you don't want their head spinning. Like you want to leave them with a couple good nuggets that they can practice for a couple weeks and then come back to you and say, well, this worked, but this didn't really. Yeah. Um, usually I, 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 give the, I give my students a couple things that you can be focusing and working on in the field. And I try to stress to everybody that takes lessons with me that anything that we do in field work and form building and uh, things of that nature, that is completely different than stepping onto a course. How so? Because when you step onto the course, you now have to worry about different things. You shouldn't be focusing on your form. 
you should be focusing on how to throw this disc how what disc am i using what stability am i using what speed am i using um and then everything should be coming very natural and very fluid to to uh uh to you so i when i when i do these lessons i try to make sure that you know field work is one thing and then coursework that's a completely separate thing just don't fo- hyper focus on your uh, on your form on the course do that in the field work where you can hyper focus on it and then on the course that's a separate set of skills have you also given lessons where you talk through course preparation or shot selection i on have the course i have it's a much longer lesson, but yes. <laughs> you, you kind of just have to play through 18 holes at yep, least, that's, right? Yep, that's how it goes. It, it ends up usually being like two, three hours. But yeah, no, I, I think that's very valuable for those players that are... And none of these players want to hear it, but it's it's exactly who would be really valuable for it. It'd be really valuable for those 940 advanced guys to that 980 range. Mm-hmm local pros where i'm sure we can all think of a 970 980 guy that when they're on they're on and it's hard to catch that guy and it's like okay well why can't he do it time in time out and it's like well that's it's because you're not choosing the right discs at the right time (laughs) it works really well that one day and then the next day you're like oh man it, it didn't work this time it's like well that's because this is a flippy shot and you're making the stable thing work right neither you nor I throw super far. Like very frequently I will pass somebody who's, you know, playing advanced and warming up on the same hole or something and they will out throw me and they'll, they'll just be so impressed with themselves. Like I out threw a pro. I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like you're going to take a worse score than I am. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I have maybe the average, Maybe the maybe a slightly below average distance, mm-hmm. and it's 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 hysterical. Everybody just assumes I can throw like five hundred. It's like I don't know. I I might have done that twice. <laughs> Give me a tailwind, a downhill, uh, and a dream. Yeah, no, I might have done that a handful of times. Um, but no, it's like I I I can throw four twenty, four forty on a dime, mm-hmm. right? And and I make my putts. And like that's don't just give up strokes on up shots or right. gaps or something. Right. Like just be gritty. Everything within 200 be great at and you know, good things happen. Yeah. This is, that's a very East coast grinder type of yeah, game, it is. I guess. Yeah, it is. With that in mind, you are kind of one of a dying breed. And, uh, I did want to say, because it was, it was on my mind. The one person, the person I, I actually will not coach it's just it when when because I I usually do some uh, some dissecting on like hey what is it that you want to uh, that you want to focus on what mm-hmm. is it that you wanted to get the person I will not coach is the person that says I want more distance <laughs> I won't coach you why because you don't care about the process you just care about the look how far I can throw okay and you know distance will come with correct form. But if you're looking for a quick fix to, oh man, I'm throwing 250 right now and now I can f- throw four. It's like, it doesn't work that way. The, this is the same premise as like someone who just goes to the weight room, loads up a whole bunch of shit on the bench press, does a, does a couple reps and goes home. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, it, it absolutely. And, and 
you know, I'm saying it a little more bluntly right now than you I than be. I say it to uh to to these people when they ask, but it's like I'm there, I like doing the lessons, but at the same time, like I I want to see and help and have an improvement in, in your game and if the mentality is not there, I I just can't help. And so I just don't want to take that time. <laughs> yeah, like you, your time is valuable even if you are being compensated for it. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you set your prices? I feel like I've been cheap. I feel like I've been pretty cheap. I don't know. I I've I guess with clinics, I've always tried to make it affordable and and uh you know, I'm getting a lot more people, so I'm willing to come out for for, you know, less ahead, so so to speak. Right. Um I think if you're doing a clinic, there's also less direct personal instruction right um and i don't love clinics because of that but at the same time it's really good they're they're really good for for a handful of things um for beginning players they're they're great um there can also be like a little socratic method kind of thing where if one person is struggling with a problem and you don't know exactly how to solve that there might be somebody else in the crowd who said oh that was me two months ago i remember exactly what that was like Let's talk about it. Yeah, the, the, the guy that I cannot stand, though, is the guy that assumes he's that person uh. and will just start to be like, oh, I can help. And it's like, no, please stop. And, and please stop this. Ha- has very un-PC ways of talking about pulling across the chest or something. Just, just please stop. <laughs> just please stop. <laughs> For pricing, I just, I guess I've always looked at, uh, looked at what people around me are, are charging and kind of go from there. I think the standard the standard go is like fifty an hour. Okay. I think that's the standard. I have a little extra time, so I'm like, okay, I'll come out for fifty ahead and you know, we'll play a few holes at the end of that uh at the end of that uh field work. So it ends up being closer to like an hour and a half, hour forty. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I think the the people that, that have taken lessons from me really like the okay, let's try to apply it to the course. Yeah, okay. So, I don't know. Maybe I should charge more for that. I don't know. You are the market. You're helping dictate that. Something that I've been a little bit wary of is when touring pros offer lessons, are they necessarily better at teaching than a local pro who is a teacher or someone who might not even be a pro but just understands the mechanics do you want to apply you want the biased opinion you should the biased opinion is the uh the teacher the person who is who their legitimate job is is to teach people and happens to teach disc golf yet that person probably knows a little more on how to articulate how to to get these uh messages across to you (laughs) (laughs) um so the lesson is pay for the quality not the celebrity yes um, with that said, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that, that I've, uh, that, you know, I've taken advice from if I'm in slumps, you know, I'll go back to, a to a handful of guys that, that, you know, I learned from that are, I mean, if, if you just looked at ratings, you would be like, why are you listening to this guy? And it's like, well, because he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I have a, I have a friend in Atlanta who's just a putting assassin and he's willing to charge, you know, 50, 60 bucks an hour for putting instruction, but it's like, oh Yeah. You should go talk to somebody else, or it's like twenty an hour to to do backhand and forehand or something. 
Yeah, I don't touch forehand because I'm just I'm not the forehand guy. <laughs> I'm not the, the things I do for forehand is not what I would suggest anybody do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for agreeing to that. I I I, I appreciate that. I mean, I've <laughs> I've seen enough of it to just kind of close my eyes and hope it works for him. Yeah, pretty much. I'm Bradley Williams, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broadcast while I sleep. I'm Holland Hanley, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broadcast while I make 60 frozen breakfast burritos. If you like where this show is headed, stick around for part two. We'll never barrage you with 11 minutes of droning external ads to start the show. So please support the Fish Golf Broadcast by visiting discgolfbra.com for hats and other apparel. Fish stamp discs are available at fishdiscgolf.com and daddydiscgolf.com, and you can save 10% on upperparkdiscgolf.com with the code ANDREW10 on backpacks and other items. And now, more lies and outrageous claims from our guest, met with calm reason by Fish. Kind of going back to the how much are touring pros charging, I, I think there's also kind of a class of like YouTube influencers who are who are trying to take their show on the road and do high dollar clinics as well. And I I think I fail to see how they would be any better at yeah, teaching I, too. Define high dollar. Like one fifty an hour? At a clinic? Oh yeah. Like ten how ten many people, people. Ten people, one fifty a pop is a number that I heard as of last winter. For ten people. So you're teaching so so I'm trying to wrap my head around this for a second. So, I think you can sign up for a clinic, mm-hmm. pay a hundred fifty dollars uh-huh. for an hour. Uh huh. You don't get direct instruction because there's nine other people. Well, maybe you do. Well, within an hour. So, okay. I, as a teacher, I have thirty kids, and I teach them for an hour and a half. I'm lucky if I can spend a minute or two of direct instruction with each of them because you're addressing the group and then putting out fires and somebody's late, which, you know, maybe there's not as many fires and the lateness stuff to, to all of that, but you are still addressing the group. Um, you're still teaching the group. Um, that's crazy. I don't want to know who that is because I don't want to throw them under the bus, but that's crazy. Just envision a chalkboard with a three profit on it. Yeah, I. That's crazy. I can't imagine where that's any. I can't imagine where that's substantially better than, you know, a clinic where you have thirty people and you paid thirty bucks for that. Sure. Now, because you are somebody who is teaching, teaching clinics or teaching lessons for disc golf, I don't think you're cynical enough to just say, "Oh, I can just make money doing this." Like. There is a genuine help and service that disc golf instructors can offer, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, and and the reason why, the only reason why I charge what I charge is because I I want people to understand my time is worth something. Mm -hmm. I don't actually care about the money in in that regard. It's just understand my time is worth something. But also, back to the, the, the person that's a little less coachable, it's like, well, you're paying me to do this. 
you should probably listen to what I said. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, at the same time, you know, I'm I'm a school teacher, so that's kind of my mentality towards towards life in in general, right? Um, where like money's not necessarily the, the the driving force of of some some of these things, but um, I don't know. As a as a touring guy, I could see where where that becomes a little more of a driving force. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of kind of things are expensive hustles, and you're you're patching together a lot of things to to make it work as a touring player. Um, but but with that in mind, you are kind of one of a dying breed right now of the strictly regional pro who only gets out on the road a couple times a year. Yeah, uh, you left me. You left me on that. Yeah, uh, I got sick and tired of watching you just throw your four twenty two. And then hitting your up shot to circle's edge and then making a putt and saying, Ah, oh, got away with it. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, pretty much. Ugh. Every tournament of every fucking year. I know. Even the bad up shots. I'd, I'd get myself like 45 footer and then just that's, make it. That's somehow worse. <laughs> like he's going to can the jump putt. Just oh, like. Oh, it's so bad. Stands over it, just moving his arm up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah, and you're just like, please just put it in. We know, we, you, you, we know you're about to. Ugh spits makes his putt spits again you know that's a nervous tick i don't realize i'm doing that that's a funny story too mike moser first time i played with mike moser Uh uh-huh he uh i i just it's a nervous tick of mine it's something i do i just constantly spit he turns around on a dime looks at me he's like can you control that takes a sec (laughs) takes a second and goes i i mean is that something that you're doing or is that a nervous tick (laughs) this this is mike asking you that yes that's so great it was hysterical i i'm very good friends with mike and i love stories of the out from the outside of people meeting him for the first time and thinking he's just like a big asshole (laughs) what's funny is i told that story to other people and like man what a jerk and i'm like no he, uh, he was in the middle of his throw I, I was making me. a noise. Like, <laughs> what, what what do you want him to do? Like, oh man, can you please? Like, it, he's making a throw. It, I made a noise. I didn't realize he could hear it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it was just a funny story. I was like, oh yeah, I I guess I do this. The disc golf pro tour. I'm gonna a uh, uh, easy layup question here. The disc golf pro tour has probably been good for the popularity and growth of disc golf, right? Yes and no. Well, I think in general, yes. In general, in general, yes. I, I think the, the nuance of no comes into play when thinking about the, the more regional pro and the health of things like regional tours or regional A-tiers. Yeah, and welcome to my brain because you've been trying to ask this question for like, this is the third time asking this question. Oh, yeah. I, <sighs> peek behind the curtain. I'm I the know. one who edits the show and there's going to be a lot of shit that got taken out here okay, where we cool. just like circled around a topic and okay cool yeah. the regional pro yeah what about the regional guy uh, oh, there's not many of them left but yeah and i think i think maybe rather than drawing the line from fewer regional pros equals equals fewer regional tournaments i think a more apt like series of arrows is the disc golf pro tour concentrated a lot of resources into a few tournaments and the tournaments that were at one time part of a sequence uh in a region or where pros knew they were going to stop on the way to 
USDGC or to the Beaver State Fling or something. I think a lot of those kind of saw the talent drying up or saw their the media interest in their A tier kind of fall off. And consequently, like we're in a little bit of a flux where the mid Atlantic barely had some A tiers for a few years there. Oh, it was bad. Oh, it was bad. I remember uh the 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 former sponsor who we will not name, um you know, they, they specifically wanted a uh, a number of, of A-tiers, and it's like, look, i got to travel 10 hours to get to one A-tier. And that was the closest one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I I don't know what you want from me. Yeah, when when I started playing in... Especially if I don't get support, right? Right, definitely. It's it's this, if you if you pay me, I can get there, but if you don't pay me, then, like, that's... I wasn't even asking to, to get paid. <laughs> um, All right. Well, okay, so... When I started playing in Maryland in 2014, there was an A tier in Maryland, there was an A tier in Delaware, and I think there were four that year in Pennsylvania and maybe one or two in Virginia. So that, if I went to all of those, it would be like, okay, like there's at least one a month for the entire season within a four or five hour drive of me. And by maybe 2017 or so, it was like, Delaware Disc Golf Challenge, and Blockhouse, and Pittsburgh. And that was it. Fall Colors. But that was towards the end of the season. I don't think that was even an A tier by that point. Like Maybe 2017. But but There was one year it it got knocked, and I think it stayed a B tier for two years, and now it's back. Okay. So so there's been a little bit of a renaissance with Lake Marshall, some other John Bisco courses, uh, the Williamsburg, and Roanoke and Lynchburg folks like kind of building up tournaments that are, are at some point going to be a tiers. Uh, Pennsylvania's got a handful now. Like what, what has that been like for you to kind of see the scene evolve in the last eight years or so? I have loved the notion of, we're not just the notion. I I've loved been a, being able to, you know, travel relatively closely to a lot of these a tiers and attract players like, MJ to the event, like yourself, like other regional guys that, uh, that you know, would, would stay kind of where they are mm-hmm. or go on to the tour because it, you know, if, if me being in Northern Virginia, again, taking the example of, okay, well, I have to drive five, six hours to get to the closest A tier. Well, why don't I just go to the tour event? Pretty much. Right. Um, Back to okay, there's A tiers everywhere, so now we can attract some uh, some other guys. Like last year's Birdie Open, right? That's we had formerly a formerly uh, the Delaware Disc Golf Challenge, right? We had a uh, we had a handful of guys that were that were newish to that to that scene, right? Mm-hmm. Or or certainly was didn't uh, wouldn't have played an A tier if it uh, if it wasn't a tour event, and now it's now it's the A tier again. But and and it make that one made sense because like in. 2023 it occurred while the tour was on the opposite side of the country so we still had a we we still had a bunch of a bunch of of you know mid i guess like upper thousand thousand ten guys sure but but my premise is those players it was located in a time and place where players weren't choosing 
well, I can either go to Delaware or I can drive an extra two hours and get to oh, Jonesboro yes. or yes. something. Yes, that is true. Um, do you, what do you see as the future of the regional player and the regional tournament over the next couple of years as the Disc Golf Pro Tour continues to kind of concentrate the resources and talent? I'll, I'll answer it with, with a kind of sort of a question. What do you define as a regional player? Um, because that, that depends, right? Because would you consider me? I mean, I, I would be considered a regional player, but what would the next guy, who else would be considered a regional <laughs> player? Like the first person that comes to mind is Cody Bradshaw. Would he be regional or would he be a little more local? Sure. So fundamentally, I think like let's set 1000 as the floor here as a, yes. as a player rating you as somebody who keeps a nine to five job necessarily has to be a regional player since you're you can't work remotely right and yes you get summers off but that's you know a third of the tour maybe yeah and and part of a good chunk of that summer the tour is moving off to uh to europe so I'm not even going to be able to follow it. Right, exactly. Now, since the Pro Tour has tour cards, and it's generally an expectation that if you have a tour card, you're going to be playing most of the Elite Series events. A regional player is likely not going to have a tour card. And that group is going to likely get more exclusive over the next few years um, so that in order to stay on tour regularly, you probably have to be 10 15 or above to play an MPO and like potentially 9:30 or above to play an FPO. Um so anyway, with with that in mind, what do you see as the future of regional tournaments? Just trying to think. This is always like, a struggle for him, folks. I know. I know. Me me uh me pondering life. I mean, I think the growth of the sport, we, we've seen enough growth that, you know, events are popping up everywhere. You, you, if you want to play an event every single weekend, you can, especially in the mid-Atlantic area, you can pretty much fill up every week of the year with an event somewhere. If you're willing to tolerate C-tiers with bad TDs on bad courses. No, sure, but <laughs> but that, that that's not really the point, right? The point is, is more of like... We we have we have the 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 quantity of players to fill these events. Sure. Um, so I don't think the events are gonna necessarily like die off, right? Um, I'm just gonna use Birdie Open as the example. Um, I don't see Birdie Open Birdie Open going away, right? I don't see it diminishing in uh in prestige or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. What you could see is, you know, let's take let's take me as an example, but I'm ten years younger, right? Um, I think you're you're gonna see guys in that scenario de- make the decision of, okay, I'm not gonna go to that event. I'm gonna go to the tour event, and so you might not have those. I guess 10, 20 rated guys at these A tiers anymore, but you might have a lot of thousand rated guys. Okay, sure. I 
I guess what I think I'd love to see is Delaware was on the tour for a couple years. I would love to see it back. But I don't know that they are comfortable with the amount of fundraising and like volunteer leveraging and everything that it takes to get a tour event put on. I think for now, they're pretty comfortable with running their running their A tier at the scale that it is right now. And I guess I would love to see if there was something like a mid-Atlantic regional tour that, you know, had six or eight events over the course of the summer where a player like you could compete in that. Kind of the way that Odds has done Old Dominion Disc Series in uh, in Virginia for 20 years or so. You, you know what would be a, you know what's actually a great example for uh, for the thing that we're talking about is the Loco Open. Okay. Last year, um, how many thousand rated guys were there? Four or five. There was, I think there was you, me, Sam was there. I don't think Cody was there. No, Nick was. You had Nick. But we had like 60, 70 people in the field. Sure. Right? Um, I, I, I kind of foresee things going kind of sort of that way. Where, where a lot of those guys that you think you would see at the event just don't really go because there's a different event somewhere else they'd rather play. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the uh, the progression I think is going to happen for for that regional type guy. Okay. Uh, do you think that's overall good or bad for the health of disc golf? I don't know. I have no idea if that's good or bad. I think you can quickly say that's a good thing for the growth because you're going to have these players going to the tour events instead because you know they think they're they're willing to they're able to they have the talent they have the you know the drive the the skill i think it's a it's a question of can they continue going to these events and can they can they keep uh just stay on the road right mm-hmm. um i think that's the uh that's the hang up that we're kind of in this weird spot where the 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 sport kind of wants to take off and and provide for a bunch of uh for a bunch of players but those regional guys kind of like myself are in this weird spot of do i make the plunge do i not make the plunge (laughs) and and that's kind of difficult to negotiate with sponsors as well i think for a while innova and discraft were the main manufacturers and they they took care of their players who were regional guys who had nine to fives and then as the tour took off it seems like all of the manufacturers, and, and there are far more than that now, have really prioritized their touring players and poured a lot of resources in there, kind of culled the team. What, what's that been like for you to, to work with Prodigy over the last couple of years to, say, I, to, to like communicate that I am not going to be on tour, but I think I can still be valuable to you? I... I won't go into great details, but I will say uh, they've done everything that I think a player like myself is worth, and they've they've given me everything that I think a player like me is worth. Just um, walking the fucking party line on sponsorship. The like, what? well, no, well, here, here you go. Ready? The the previous sponsor. I mean, people people know me with with Latitude. They they didn't care at all about that that type of player. So so when you went to Prodigy, how were you? explaining your value as a regional player um how how are you saying you know what my previous sponsor missed out on all these things that i do really well that could be great for your brand yeah so i highlighted you know what i've done what i'm what i've uh because i think what have you done 
you know, I've, I've played, I, I don't know how many events I played at that time. I don't know, I don't even know how many tour events or, or A tiers I played. I played in a handful of, of tour events, right? But uh, top 25 in Worlds, that was the, uh, the, the, the highlight of it all, right? Mm-hmm. But I think for, for the regional guy, the, the more important thing wasn't necessarily the, the what am I playing, how am I playing. I think it was, it was that, that's kind of the, the opening of, okay, these, this is what we're looking for in a player like that. But it was the extra stuff that I, that I added in. The, I run doubles at my local course. I put on clinics. I run, I run lessons. It was all those, all that extra stuff that, that showed that there's, there's value to this in, in like a ambassador sense as well. I think that's very important because you can be on tour, but be almost invisible. But as a regional player, you might be the one up on the podium nearly every week saying, thank you to my sponsors, blank, blank, blank. And like your name is out there. You are associated with winning on that to, to those local players or every single week, you know, there's, if there's 30 people at doubles, like, you have a chance to put your plastic directly in their hands and say, hey, you should try this one. Yeah, and one of the things that I constantly try to do, and people know know me for this as well, I'll I'll tell you if I think something is a really good thing to use or not. Like, like what? Like M4s are incredible. Ugh. They're amazing. They're Ugh. they're incredible discs. The M5 uh, kind of feels funky. When's the last time you saw somebody with an M5 in their bag? Well, that's kind of the point. <laughs> Feels a little funky, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that's also what what adds to uh, to a, to a value of somebody like me, right? Like, you know, I'm not just a cheap salesman of of whatever it is. You know, I'm going to push the the product and and the things that that are really good about uh, Prodigy, for example, mm-hmm. which we do a lot of really good things. Got to break past the barrier of it's Prodigy, I guess. Okay. I guess that's other people's stigma to try to figure out. Yeah, I mean, everybody that, that that uses the stuff loves it. So, I don't know. I've loved it. Yeah, that's because you throw, like, four things. This is true as well. Well, Hammer, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, if you liked the show, please uh, like, subscribe, tell your friends to, to listen as well. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at fish58320. And if you hated the show and you need somebody to yell at about it, where can folks find you, Hammer? Uh, Hammer Disc Golf. What is it? Hammer underscore disc underscore golf, I think, on Instagram. He, he thinks so, and that means it's a useful username. Yeah, 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 It's a great username. And is that the best place for folks to get in contact with you in the Mid-Atlantic if they want uh, uh, lessons? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And you've got some Frisbees for sale as well. I do have Frisbees for sale. Uh, Spotify. No, Shopify. Yeah. I finally opened one. Spotify. <laughs> Yep, I'm I'm on top of it today. All right. He needed that shower to be a lot colder to sober up. Hammer, thank you. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast. But be sure to check out previous episodes and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Check out Fish Golf Broadcast hats and other apparel at discgolfbra.com and badger your friends until they listen too. Join us next time as I goad yet another guest into starting a fight with another touring player, campsite host, or toll booth attendant on the Fish Golf Broadcast.